Good morning, family. How's everybody doing today? Not every time that you go to church and sing frog songs, but now you won't forget those announcements. It's so special to be with you this morning, and to uh, especially this morning welcome some dear friends of ours and of this family and of Hatfield that have journeyed with us for many, many years, Stuart and Irene Bell, that are with us this morning. Won't you give them a really just a good welcome and a round of applause? Stuart and Irene are well known to most of you, and Stuart's also on what we call our advisory board as Hatfield and just helps us with some oversight and giving us some input from external sources, and he's actually going to be here today with us, but also tonight at the evening service, and then this week we're spending some time with us and just with our teams and, and just spending time with us to check how we're doing and give us any input uh, that we may need uh, from just an external source. So it's really great to have him with us. Stuart leads the ground level network in the UK and is also uh, leads the Alive Church in Lincoln, and it's wonderful that they actually made it. Lincoln was the epicenter of the snowstorm in the UK, and they were snowed in, and it was touch and go, and, but they, they persevered, spent about 12 hours at the airport on Friday uh, to make sure that they were able to get here, and we really appreciate you and your friendship, and come and share the word with us, Stuart. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much. Yes, it's a strange thing coming from minus five to 30 degrees or whatever. So uh, it's a huge honor for Irene and I to be with you. Uh, we don't count, count it lightly. Uh, we see it as a great privilege to be able to come and share with you. And I want to be speaking from Ephesians chapter four. I believe you are in a series at the moment and we're going to be looking at life in the body. We're going to be looking at the body of Christ, particularly the picture that's used in Ephesians of the body. We know with the body that there are many parts, and the beauty of this passage is that all of us are important. All of us have something to contribute. All of us who are followers of Jesus Christ matter. And uh, so we're going to be looking at a few areas to do with the body of, of Christ. And I'm going to particularly be looking at the first 16 verses uh, together. So really, this chapter is all about the body. And it's an amazing thought, isn't it, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, it talks in Ephesians about us being in Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about that little statement, but doesn't it give value to you today to recognize we, as followers of Jesus, are part of the body of Christ. It gives us a remarkable sense of identity. It may be that in your upbringing you didn't sense an identity, you didn't feel important. One of the things that I've struggled with in life is a sense of, uh, do I really matter? Can I really contribute anything? And I would imagine certain areas of insecurity in my life as I've been growing up, but the longer I have walked with Jesus, the more I have understood that I have a tremendous identity. I'm now, as a follower of Jesus, I'm in Christ, in Christ. It gives me a sense of identity, to be part of the body of Christ. It also gives us all a sense of dignity, doesn't it? The body of Christ, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. We are part of His body, and just as He walked on the earth... 2,000 years ago, doing so many wonderful things, so you and I can walk the walk today. 
Now, with regard to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 talk about belief systems. We are in Christ, that we have been raised, we've been, been in, elevated uh, to be in Christ. And the first two chapters are about doctrine in many ways, our belief systems. But as you come to chapter 4, we start to look at behavior, the way that we walk, the way that we live. In fact, the second part of this chapter, verses 17 and onwards, uh, it talks about living as children of light. How we live really matters. And it's so important that our belief structures and our behavior and the way that we act and live, uh, they match. I integrity is where I'm the same person back home with the family as I am on a platform. And that's a huge challenge to all of us to walk with integrity, where when we say we believe in certain things, it is then lived out and enacted, not just in church locations, but in terms of our workplace and our places of education. And so we are together uh, walking the walk, and we do so in this wonderful thing called the church. It's a, it's a great thing. The person to the left, the person to the right, they are a gift to you. Uh, there's no place on earth like the church of Jesus Christ. And so what I would like to do this morning is look at five things from this passage that talk about you and I uh, with regard to our place and our position in the body of Christ. The first thing I want us to look at is responsibility within the body. Responsibility within the body. Chapter 4 verse 1 says, As a prisoner of the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So straight away, Paul says we must live a life worthy of the calling. If we've been called to be in Christ, if we have been called to be part of the body of Christ, then there are implications. We need to be responsible with regard to this high calling. We need to live responsibly. And therefore, Paul urges, the word could be beg, he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling. And so straight away we're challenged with this whole area of integrity. Do our belief systems match up with our behavior? I think it's fitting for me today just to bring a very short tribute to a great man who went to be with the Lord in the week. In his hundredth year, Dr. Billy Graham uh, finished the race. And uh, the amazing thing as far as I'm concerned is that um, he's the man where his beliefs matched his behavior. And it seems as though no one was ever able to point the finger at him. It was rather like Jesus. Those that were around, they could never get anything on Jesus. They were not able to point the finger at any bad behavior. And I think a similar thing with Dr. Billy Graham. And we honor him today for his walk uh, with God and his walk of integrity. He was a man who took his calling as, as an evangelist. He took great responsibility and he modeled it so well and we honor him for it. And if the church is the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to live and to walk like Jesus. And then verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. As I was reading this, I, I thought, couldn't he have put be slightly humble? And slightly general, do your best, 
But he doesn't say that. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He's saying, take responsibility for this high calling. Make sure that you're in line with God and you're in line with one another. He talks about these qualities of life that are worthy of the calling. He mentions five qualities, doesn't he? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. These are the qualities of the character of Jesus and the character of Jesus needs to be seen in us and through us. If we're in Christ and Christ is in us, then we would expect, wouldn't we, that his character is seen in and through us. That's why the fruit of the Spirit grows within us so that the character traits of Jesus are seen in our behavior and in the way that we live and the way that we act. Take responsibility in the body. It's a thing I believe that's uh, important for every one of us. All of us in this place, within the body of Christ, must take a responsibility. Sadly, we often try to take responsibility for someone else's actions and someone else's life when God actually says, take responsibility for your own life. Make sure that when you point the finger at someone else's faults, you recognize that usually when you point your finger, three other fingers are pointing back at you. And so it's vitally important that we live a life worthy of the calling. Be responsible. So the first thing is responsibility within the body. Secondly, on these pages, we find unity within the body. Unity within the body. Verse 3 says this, Make every effort, there's that strong word again, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, anyone who's been in ministry or in church life for a long time will know one of the biggest challenges, even within a local fellowship, is to do with this elusive thing called unity. We know we're called to it, but how many of us know that it's difficult when you have people involved? Unity, so often we know in terms of what we ought to be seeing that unity is the call of God upon our lives, but so often uh, because of the differences, different opinions, different styles, different ways of doing things, even today as we worship God, there will be those that are thinking, you know, well, the music's too loud or it's not loud enough, all these kind of things that trouble us so often, and yet we need to push through any of our uh, Preferences, and we need to be people that recognize we are called to unity. We're called to Christian unity. It says here in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Can anybody spot one word in that little passage? Seven times, one, one. One, one. And yet we often want to divide, do our own thing. How many denominations are there in the world? How many different groups of people are in the world? And yet here we're told one, 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 one. Now, when you first read this, it can be a little bit complex because you're thinking there are seven ones. What's Paul got in mind here? Obviously, there's one God. There's one God the Father, one God the Son, one God the Holy Spirit, but there are all these ones. Well, if there's one Spirit, therefore there's one body. If there's one Lord Jesus, one Lord, then there's one faith, one hope, 
one baptism. If there's one God, our Father, Father of all, therefore we are one family. I was reading John Stott's commentary and he turns it round a little. We often think, don't we, in terms of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so to sum this up, John Stott says this, there's one Father who creates one family. One Lord Jesus who creates the one faith, one hope, one baptism, and one Spirit creates one body. So one is very important. We prophetically, three, four years ago, changed one of our big events that we've been running for 34 years now, where we gather people together. It used to be called the Grapevine Celebration. We just felt so strongly about this that we called it the one event now. The one event. That, that one is so important. And then, of course, the... Uh, the TV pickup on this, of course, they're always late, aren't they, after the prophetic things. Like we have the one show now on British television. They catch up eventually. One is so very important. Unity is so important. So to practically work this out, this oneness isn't just to do with a local fellowship, but what a challenge it is in a local fellowship to really pursue unity to, with everything that we are, recognize that the person next door to us, uh, up the row here in this meeting, is a brother or a sister. We are in the one family. We're together in this. What a great start. I, I, I've never heard a start to a service like uh, that before, the frog thing. I think that's quite impressive. It could catch on. But it is important that we are together in this, that we are one church. But of course, there are greater implications than just being one within Hatfield or united within our services and so on. This oneness actually is there's really only one church, which means the implications are we never have um, a problem praying for another church or blessing another church. It should be something that we regularly do because we recognize that though we might not know them personally, those people that are gathered throughout Pretoria and across South Africa and across the UK today, though there will be less of them gathering across the UK today uh, because of the weather, but we have to state we are one church. There's one body. There's one faith. And so unity, we know this, but this is so very, very important that we live with this recognition of unity within the body. And Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort. Unity needs working at. You know, within family life, unity needs working at, doesn't it? Unity needs working at in fellowship, in friendship. It has to be worked at. And we need to press through. So responsibility within the body unity within the body, but thank the Lord, thirdly, in this passage, we have diversity within the body, diversity within the body. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if we were all the same? We all agreed. That would be a bit boring, wouldn't it? Nobody can ask questions because there are no questions to ask. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if everybody looks alike? And everybody does the same kind of things. A kind of a clone world is not what God has created. 
He's created us all different and diversity is a wonderful gift. I don't think there's anywhere on the face of the earth that's more wonderful than the church of Jesus Christ or the body of Christ where that diversity comes together with one faith, one hope, one Lord. It's a remarkable thing. How this thing works, I I don't know. It has to be something to do with the Holy Spirit. Where we come with our differences, differences of background, differences of education, different ways of thinking, different ways of looking at things. And we all come together in this thing called the church and there's incredible diversity. You know, you are different from anyone else on the face of the earth. Someone say amen. Amen. There's nobody like you. You may not think you're important, but God certainly does. He's given you fingerprints, given you fingerprints that are different from anyone else. That, that you, can, you can stand before an iris machine at an airport and it will spot you and no one else because you are unique. You are made in the image of God. It's a remarkable, it's a wonderful thing. And you know, in Ephesians, there are all kinds of pictures of the church. And I think it's important we talk about this for a minute or two. I'd just like uh, to bring a little bit of experiment uh, in our congregation this morning. And uh, I would ask you, as you did earlier, to respond if that's at all. Don't feel pressured. And as I ask you some questions, there are no right or wrong answers. They're all right. So don't be in insecurity when I ask a few questions. But in Ephesians, you find a number of pictures of the church. If I were to say to you, how would you describe the church? We'd have all kinds of different answers. That's because the church is too beautiful to sum up in one or two sentences. And that's why pictures are very important. So let's for a minute or two look at some of the pictures from Ephesians and also in the New Testament with regard to the church. There's a little diagram that'll come up giving pictures of the body, which we're talking about today. The church is like a body. Jesus is the head. We are parts of the body of Christ. Then it's spoken of as the family. And we are the family of God, and God is our Father. And then there's the picture of the temple, where we are all together. We are living stones And Jesus is the cornerstone to the temple. And as we come together and we worship him and we elevate Jesus' name, then God comes to his people, to his temple. Then there's the picture of the bride, the bride of Christ, the beauty of the church, the bride waiting for the return of Christ. Also, you see in the New Testament, the picture of the church being like a city set on a hill, a place of influence, a place that cannot be hidden. And then also for the activists among us, the church is shown as a picture of the army, the army of the Lord. Now, I will find it intriguing, and so I'm going to ask you a question or two. When you think about the church... Which of these pictures would be the one that you identify with the most? Or the one that you would think of automatically? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go uh, through the list. And then when I call out 
uh, one of those pictures. Will you be kind enough to put your hand up? We've got a kind of an experiment here to see what happens. So if I talk about the church being a family, how many of you would say, I identify with church as a family? Just place your hand in the air. That's great. Okay, thank you. How many would talk about the church being a temple? You'd think of the temple. Okay, more hands uh, are going up. Not quite as many as with the family, but an identification with the temple. How many would think of the church as the bride of Christ? Again, many people would say, I see the church as something beautiful, the bride of Christ. How many here would see the city on a hill? City on a hill, influence people. These are influence people, I guess. City on a hill, thank you. How many would identify with the word body, the body of Christ? Yeah. Now, some of you might be putting your hands up to all of them, but it's worth, uh, worth me going through this. And then the final one is the, the army. Where are the army people? Good. These are the people that are sat up straight in the meeting. And... Uh, but the point I'm making is this. Don't you think it's really wonderful that all of these pictures of the church, you and I, because we're in Christ, identify with all of these pictures, but to slightly different levels? Which means sometimes you may get a bit of tension between family and army. <laughs> family people want to pray together. Army want to be on the streets. Army want to be out. These are the kind of tension points to unity, aren't they? There are those that would say the bride of Christ, and for them, holiness and righteousness and cleanness and right living is a priority. For other people, they might think other things would take priority. The beauty is this everything that we've said today is right. The church is all of these things. And for all of us, and think about this. Your first preference when you raise your hand will tell me something about your gift mix. And Christ within you, the things that are working within you, you will respond through the gifting of God. And by God's grace, what we have in this place today is an expression of Christ. The full-orbed church of Jesus Christ is here among us today. Will the church just for a moment symbolically stand? The church of Jesus, stand. The church of Jesus, stand. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Take a minute or two. You see, we get so used to these kind of pictures and analogies. But this is the truth. Every one of us is stood with a different way of viewing, a different way of thinking, different priorities. But we're all in... One body. Why are we in one body? Because there's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. Just take your seats again. Let's just move on a, a little further and take this to, Ephes you know, Ephesians 4, usually, historically, we came to Ephesians 4 because in Ephesians 4 are what are known as the ministry gifts of the ascended Christ. In verse 11, it says, It was he, that's the ascended Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Years ago, God brought revelation to the church that apostolic things and prophetic things 
should not be locked up in history or the past, but that today the revelation is that the ascended Christ has given to his church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And that's a revelation, I believe, of team ministry that has come to us over the last 30 or so years uh, across the earth, and we thank God for it. But the emphasis has tended to be upon specific people. And therefore, we've said, who's the apostle? Who's the prophet? Who's the evangelist? And it is right that we recognize gifts. It is right today that we honor an evangelist, Billy Graham. All of that is appropriate and good. But actually, when Paul writes this letter, he's not writing to a few special people or leaders in Ephesus. But he's actually communicating with the whole body. And therefore, my belief that, let me, let me make it as a statement. Who is the greatest apostle? Jesus. Who is the greatest prophet? Jesus. Who is the greatest evangelist? Jesus. Who is the greatest pastor and teacher? Jesus. And therefore, if we are in Jesus, we would expect, would we not, that the character and heart and life of Jesus be in his body, for when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to his people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. People given as gifts, yes, but resident within the church. And it's therefore my belief that if we were to take a little bit of a, an experiment again and talk about your individual gift, that in Christ you would find that these things are being manifest through every believer in some dimension. And that Jesus, when he ascended, he gave gifts to his church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul, I believe, brought this revelation in Ephesians. I think Ephesians was very important for him because Paul recognized he, he claims to be an apostle, but in Ephesians, you'll see he's also a teacher. He's clearly an evangelist. He's also a pastor. And I think sometimes there's been a little bit of a danger of wanting to name special people when we're all special. And that those special, special people are servants within the framework of the church to see the church grow. And my belief is that as Christ is manifest... It says here, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining, here's the, the sentence, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's not just manifest in a few people, it's manifest in his body, the full measure of Christ whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we often talk about being want, wanting to be a full gospel church. I think we should want to be a whole measure of the fullness of Christ church, where Christ is measured among us, that he is with us, and his character is seen not just in special people. This passage is about the body of Christ. It's seen among us. And therefore, we honor every gift, every person, everyone is unique. 
before God. And God wants us to recognize that. Yes, to recognize gifts and ministries in terms of people that are given to help us, but all of us are gifted in the Lord. So responsibility within the body, unity within the body, diversity within the body. Then fourthly, maturity within the body. Maturity within the body. Verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service. This gathering today is not about everything that we're called to this week, is it? We are being equipped for service. Our service begins when this service ends. When we move from here, we move into our places of work, our families, our places of education, wherever God takes us this week, we go as the body of Christ, ambassadors of Christ, to make a difference in this world, to see the kingdom of God come. What an exciting principle that as we walk out in this week, we see the kingdom come. You see, when Jesus came, the kingdom came. But it's not yet come in all of its fullness. Today in this gathering, as people find Christ, as people are healed, the, the kingdom comes. But the kingdom is yet to come in all of its fullness. We're yet to see days of full unity with the whole measure of Christ established and manifest among us. But we look to that and we work to it. And the beauty is that as we do so, we begin to be matured and we begin to grow. And so in verses 12 and 13, we see this maturing takes place. It says, until we all reach unity in the faith, verse 13, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Don't you long to be part of a mature body? And, you know, it is appropriate that people have to grow up. You know, when you're in a family and you have children that are running around, you don't actually expect too much maturity. But the longer they go on and the older that they get, your expectations become greater, don't they? And therefore, there will be times when we see immaturity within church, but we work to mature the saints and we work to grow in the faith. And sadly, if you look into church life, you don't always find maturity, do you? you find sometimes immaturity. And the challenge of this book and the challenge to my life is that we need to walk with a growing and a developing understanding of others where we're able to listen to the opinions of someone else, where we're not always looking for our preferences to be satisfied because church today ultimately isn't about me. It's ultimately not about you, but it's about Jesus and honoring his name. And so it's vitally important that we mature in the faith. You know, I've got to an age where if I'm not going to do it, I ought to do it pretty quickly in terms of maturing. Sometimes Irene, my wife at the side here, will say uh, when I'm feeling a bit, you know, sorry for myself, usually a Monday morning if it's not gone well in church, and, and uh, Irene will say, will you please grow up? This is a very challenging thought, isn't it, for a senior pastor? And when you get to my age, it's getting a bit late. At this point, if we're in America, I'd say, say to your neighbor, will you grow up? But because we're not, I won't say that. 
But it is true that we're to mature, isn't it? As we all grow and mature, the life and character of Christ grows in us and we better represent him in the world. My desire is to better represent Jesus in the world, to walk as he walks, to talk as he would talk, to do in the terms of John Wimber, the stuff. You've perhaps heard John Wimber, when he first became a Christian, went to the person that had discipled him and said, when are we going to start doing the stuff? And uh, his leader said, what do you mean the stuff? He said, the stuff in the New Testament, you know, the casting out of demons and the healing and all of the stuff. And the leader said, we don't do stuff these days. (laughs) But I think it's about time we started to do the stuff. That it's time where the church of Jesus begins to see the healing on the streets. It's a mature church walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that begins to see breakthroughs. And instead of looking at our deficiencies, we look at Jesus and we look at his plan for our lives. Jesus, here's a good one. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Maturity within the body, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we're nearly there. Responsibility within the body, unity within the body, diversity within the body, maturity within the body, and then finally, stability within the body. Verse 14 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Maturity will bring stability. You know, when we are insecure, we can be blown all over the place. When we are immature, we'll get hold of the latest teaching and and we'll just receive anything, especially if it's from a famous person. But maturity says, no, I'm not just going to be blown here and there. I'm going to be in line with the orthodox things of the historic faith. I want to be aligned with the gospel that's been handed down. I think it might not be politically correct to always say this, but I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus is the incarnate Word of God that became flesh, that lived a perfect and sinless life on this earth. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save humankind from their sins and he hung on the cross in order that my sins might be forgiven. I believe that Jesus Christ on the third day physically, bodily was raised from the dead. I believe that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. And I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. The best days of the church are ahead. And it's to do with honoring Jesus, lifting up his name. And a mature church will be a strong and stable church. You see, mature Christians resist new teachings and deceitful schemings. I can guarantee it there'll be some new stuff that blows through. This year, year ahead, and some people will swallow it all. Now, I'm not suggesting we've got it all and know it all. 
We've got to remain open to fresh revelation, but it will always come from this divine word. Mature Christians resist new teachings and deceitful schemings. It says in verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love. Have you had that said to you? I'm going to speak the truth now in love. It really doesn't mean that. It means love. When you love someone, you don't point the finger. When you love someone, you're able to look them in the eyes and with care and concern address any issues, but you are open for the same in the other direction. Instead, we speak love. Mature Christians release truth and love into the body. That's a mature thing, mature. Immaturity talks behind the scene. Immaturity talks about people when they're not in the room. I've sadly seen this even among senior leaders. I used to go to a meeting where some pretty high flyers, you know, from our nation would gather together and it was known as the Apostolic Forum. Ooh. And we were in the Apostolic Forum and what I noticed was, and it didn't happen much, thank the Lord, but from time to time when a person left the room, they became the topic of conversation. I learned, don't leave the room. Verse 16, and finally, from him, that's Jesus, the ascended Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Mature Christians recognize Jesus as the head of the body. It's all about him. And the final words, as each part does its work. Not just as the eldership does its work or the pastors or the shepherds, but as each part does its work. You are so valuable to this church today. You have a part to contribute. This isn't rhetoric, ladies and gentlemen. This is the word of God. Your part really matters. Sometimes we think, well, I'll give Sunday a miss. Nobody will notice. God notices. But actually the church notices. There's something missing if you're not present. If you're a joint part of this fellowship, there's something missing. You'll say, well, how does that work? I don't get anything to say. No, but your presence here brings who you are. And when we're all gathered together, you know, I think the assemblies of God got one, one thing. I'm not saying they got lots of things wrong, but the assemblies of God got that word assembly, right? A church is an assembly, which means we are together in it. We're assembled together. You're not a random person sat on a seat. You've been fixed in today. You are part of the body of Christ. And so my exhortation today is be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Father, I pray that this body, this church, will have a wonderful, wonderful future as every part does its work. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, Stuart. Church, will you stand with me this morning? I just feel in my spirit to go just back a moment before we started sharing the word. In that time in the worship, I really felt just a sense of the Father saying, come to me, come to me. And I believe there's particular people today here in our midst where the Father is saying to you, come to me. Jesus said it in these words. He said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. The Father, you know, in, in Isaiah it says, even young men will grow weary, but those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. And as we end this service, we would want to just give you an opportunity to come to the Father today. And our team's going to be in the front here, and they're going to be ready to pray with people. And I just sense there's people here today that just need somebody to put an arm around you, to lay hands on you, to just in some way say to you, the Father is with you. The love of Christ is yours. So as we end the service, please come. If you would like us to pray for you. Herbin made the invitation earlier. That, but It's possible that today in this gathering you had an encounter with Jesus by His Spirit. And there's a desire in your heart to come and solidify that and to say to somebody, I want to commit my life to Christ. And we want to pray with you and just spend a moment with you to do that with you. So you're also welcome to come to the front. We don't have baptism this week because of life changes going on. Our baptism will start again on the 18th of March. So unfortunately that opportunity is not available today. But uh, we will again baptize. But won't you just, if you're comfortable at this point in time, raise your hands to the Lord. You've done all sorts of uncomfortable things this morning already. So this one should be easy. Let's just raise our hands to the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you that we are one body. We are part of the one body of your church all over the world. And we think of your church today in every nation, every place, where people are gathered around the name of Jesus. And we say, what a beautiful thing that is, Lord. And we pray that in this world, your church will grow in its strength, in its influence, in its ability, Father. May we grow up in the maturity of the faith to become these people that take responsibility, Lord. In unity, with our diversity, Father, that we can march forward and see the name of Jesus glorified and exalted. Thank you for each other, Lord. Thank you for the person to my left and to my right. Thank you that they, with me, are being built in to the body for the glory of Jesus. Lord, our commitment is to you, the head of the church. And to say, this is all about you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your church. Thank you for this opportunity that we've gathered. But now as we scatter, we thank you, Lord, that you are going with each of us. That we are the church going into the world. And our service will continue throughout this week. And we thank you for that. I bless every person with the presence of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please come and let us pray with you. Have a wonderful week. It's been great to see you this week and the Lord bless you.